Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, it's obvious you like podcasts, and it's obvious you like wrestling from the mid to late 90s, but do you like wrestling today? If you do, check out the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Every Thursday, some friends and I get together and talk about the week that was in WWE. We also talk TNA, but mostly to make fun of it. You know how it is. Plus, every so often, a raccoon in a trash can shows up and asks us trivia questions. So come on over and check out the Rundown Wrestling Podcast every Thursday on the Questionable Endeavor Network. special bonus episode of the Raw Attitude Podcast. This time out, we're taking a break from chronologically recapping episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era to cover the very first episode of Sunday Night Heat. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. Alright, so, without any further ado, let's get into the premiere episode of Sunday Night Heat. It is Sunday, August 2nd, 1998, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim, California. But wait, you say, wasn't last week's episode of Raw taped in that same arena? Why, yes, in fact, this episode of Sunday Night Heat was taped after Raw went off the air, so the fans got three straight hours of WWF content on this night. And surely, no one could ever possibly complain about three straight hours of wrestling on a Monday night, right? No, never. Also, in an interesting parallel, ECW was hosting a pay-per-view on the very night that this episode aired, and it had the similar name of Heatwave 1998, and on that show, a familiar face appeared and accompanied Chris Candido to the ring. Are you kidding me? You knew about this! You're damn right I knew about it! What a cool Candido! That's right, only four days after being fired from the WWF for refusing to go to rehab to treat her alleged addiction to prescription medication, Tammy Lynn Sitch, a.k.a. Sonny, has now joined her longtime partner Chris Candido in ECW. I guess Paul Heyman was willing to take a chance on her despite those issues. Spoiler alert, Tammy and Candido have to be taken off TV by the end of the year, allegedly because they had both developed severe drug addictions. Whoops. But anyway... Back to Sunday Night Heat.
So after queuing up that terrible theme song and some opening pyro, Vince McMahon immediately emerges from backstage to let us know who the host of Heat will be. That's right, this is the official debut of Shane McMahon in a full-time on-air capacity. Since the beginning of this podcast, we've only seen him a couple times, most notably hanging out with Mike Tyson in the skybox at the Royal Rumble and attempting to talk his father out of fighting Stone Cold Steve Austin on the April 13th episode of Raw. So Vince introduces Shane, but then Shane turns around and walks right backstage. However, he re-emerges a few seconds later with a woman on each arm. He's only been on TV for a minute, but he's already ripping off the Godfather's new gimmick. In fact, not only is Shane doing commentary, but his lady friends are as well. We're informed that their names are Allie and Shyla, which is obviously information that we'll need to know because they have lengthy commentary careers ahead of them. Our first match is Edge versus Jeff Jarrett, who's accompanied by greatest character ever, Tennessee Lee. How does Shane sound on commentary so far? Take a listen. What? Yeah, you are. Welcome to Sunday Night Heat. What's well, going on? Oh, we were having a blast. There you go, young lady. We'll take that. Here we go. Have a seat there, ladies. We're in for a good time tonight. And starting it off, here comes he's in the house. little bit annoying so far. Not only that, but he and JR appear to not have much rhythm together at the start of the show, as we then get 24 seconds of silence on commentary. That may not sound like a long time, but I assure you that it feels like an eternity when you're used to the constant banter between JR and Jerry Lawler. But anyway, let's get into the Edge versus Double J match. For those scoring at home, this is Edge's first televised match in six weeks. He debuted on the June 22nd episode of Raw and badly injured Los Pariquas member Jose Estrada, so he has presumably been kept out of the ring since then for that very reason. Interestingly, Edge actually hit a spear very early on in the match, but he didn't even bother to cover Jarrett afterwards. And on a related note, Double J then hit Edge with a reverse Russian leg sweep, which he will eventually refer to as the stroke and utilize as a finisher of his own, but he also does not even bother going for the cover here. Clearly, this is a knight of future finishers. Edge then went on to hit consecutive rolling suplexes, think of Eddie Guerrero's Three Amigos for a point of comparison, but instead of hitting a third suplex, he hit a sloppy-looking Impaler DDT. However, it was surprisingly only good enough for a two-count. The match ended when Jarrett tapped his leg to give a signal to Tennessee Lee, and Double J then attempted to Irish whip Edge off the ropes. However, Edge reversed it, and Tennessee Lee, who was expecting Edge to come toward him, accidentally tripped Jarrett instead. Edge then covered Double J, and that was somehow enough to pick up the three count. I have to say, that's one wrestling spot I've never understood. The manager attempts to trip someone, but he's only half paying attention, so he ends up tripping his own man by mistake. Why wouldn't you just 
look the entire time. Common sense, people. And sure enough, as a result of that error, Jarrett gets in Tennessee Lee's face after the match and shoves him, then walks backstage by himself. I think we may be seeing the end of this partnership pretty soon, and that will surely be a sad day for everyone. And by everyone, I mean probably just me. After a commercial break, Jerry the King Lawler is in the ring for an interview with DX members Triple H and X-Pac, who are accompanied by China. If you recall last week on Raw, The Rock defended his Intercontinental title in a triple threat match against Hunter and X-Pac, but the two DX members ended up fighting amongst each other and were unsuccessful at winning the belt. The King informs them that Vince McMahon has made a match for tomorrow night on Raw, Triple H versus X-Pac, with the winner getting a shot at The Rock's Intercontinental title at SummerSlam. X-Pac assures us that he and Hunter will have a fair match tomorrow, and then, when it's all said and done, they'll shake hands and DX will continue to be as strong as ever. Triple H then grabs the mic and says that he understands why Vince is trying to break up DX. He never liked DX from day one when Hunter and HBK were acting like dicks and showing their asses to the world. He says that DX has always been, quote, the most titillating section of the show every week. And speaking of titillating, he then asks the crowd if anyone has the guts to show off the goods, just like one young lady did a few weeks ago on Raw. Sure enough, a few planted fans in the audience then do indeed show their breasts, much to the delight of the male fans. I was kind of hoping that China would then take the mic and ask which guys in the crowd have the guts to show off their dicks, but I suppose that's not the demographic they're appealing to. Up next, we take another visit to Draws's world. This week, Draws tells a story of an encounter he had with Mark Henry during training. This is the story of one man, his wild pets, a couple of tattoos, and puke. It's Draws's world. One day, actually, I was in training. Mark Henry had come in to work out. It was gross! Mark grabs my shirt and blows his nose in. Oh, no, that's gross! I don't think I'm going to have to put up with that. <laughs> Tom Pritchard was actually refereeing at the time. I heard the gurgling sounds coming up from Darren's stomach. I'd be like one or two he's. Mark had no idea. I just kind of... Oh, had little chunks in it, too, you know, like beans and corn. He puked on his hand! I don't think I've ever seen Mark Henry move that fast before in his life. Next time on Draz's World. I got a lot of heat for that, but I have a dog on my ass. In case you're wondering what that last part was referencing, Draz pulls down his pants and shows us that he actually has a cartoon dog tattooed on his right ass cheek. Alrighty then. He may be a subpar wrestler, but at least he appears to have some interesting stories. And speaking of draws, he's actually part of the next match, a six-man tag team match where he teams with the Headbangers to face Kai and Tai members Funaki, Togo, and Teo, who are accompanied by Yamaguchi-san. Before the match begins, however, Val Venus shows up at the top of the ramp and Mrs. Yamaguchi-san is with him. Of course, this causes Yamaguchi-san to freak out, and if I was Val, I would probably tread a little bit more carefully around a guy who threatened to choppy-choppy my PP one week prior. The six-man tag match was pretty uneventful, but we got a nice-looking spot at the end where the three faces were each working over one of the heels in a corner of the ring. Draws, Mosh, and Thrasher then Irish-whipped each member of Kayentai into the center of the ring, and all three of them collided. Draws then hit Teo with a powerbomb, and that was enough to secure the three-count. Your winners, Darren Drozdov and the Headbangers. After the match, however, things got a little bit more interesting. Mrs. Yamaguchi-san headed backstage, but Val stuck around. He briefly stared down Kayentai and Yamaguchi-san, but then they headed backstage as well. 
Val then proceeded to walk to ringside, where two of the stars of the USA Network show Pacific Blue were seated. For those of you who don't recall Pacific Blue, it's a TV show about beachside bicycle cops, so clearly the episodes had very high stakes. And, purely coincidentally, Pacific Blue just so happens to be on right after Sunday Night Heat goes off the air. Imagine that! The two stars of the show who are seated at ringside are Amy Hunter Cornelius and Mario Lopez. Yes, that's right, former Saved by the Bell star and present-day host of Extra, Mario Lopez. Mario extends a hand to Val, but in a move that makes him seem like a complete asshole, Val shoves Mario aside and starts gyrating his package in Amy's face. Mario then asks Val to stop being such a sleazy weirdo, so Val pie-faces him. This then causes Mario to hop the guardrail and tackle Val to the ground, but a bunch of WWF referees immediately get between them before they can brawl any further. Police officers then escort Mario out of the building as Amy looks on and poorly attempts to act horrified. Once again, I have to ask, how does this make Val Venus look like a face? He just harassed an innocent woman and got one-upped by a celebrity, two things which would seem to indicate that he is the heel in this equation. Not to mention the fact that he had just been grinding all over Mrs. Yamaguchi-san a few minutes prior, but now he's abandoning her to swivel the big Valboski in someone else's face. At this point, I almost feel like he deserves to have his pee-pee chopped. Our next match is a European title match, champion D'Lo Brown, accompanied by Mark Henry, versus Ken Shamrock. Early on in the match, D'Lo tossed Shamrock to the outside and faked a knee injury so that the referee would check on him, and that allowed Mark Henry to attack Shamrock outside the ring. Unfortunately, this plan backfired somewhat, as Dan the Beast Severn and Steve Blackman then came out from backstage to back up Shamrock. That may seem a bit odd, since last week on Raw, Severn actually put Shamrock into a dragon sleeper, but Jim Ross informs us that Blackman is friends with both men, so he's helping to keep the peace. Eventually, D'Lo headed outside and shoved Severn, and then he rolled right back into the ring. Severn, however, was not willing to let that go, so he followed D'Lo back into the ring and started punching him right in front of referee Tim White, which resulted in Shamrock being disqualified. Your winner and still WWF European champion, D'Lo Brown. Blackman then had to stand between Shamrock and Severn because the world's most dangerous man was frustrated over the DQ loss, and we could even hear Shamrock yell the word fuck, which I'm surprised the USA Network didn't edit out since this was pre-taped six days in advance. Jim Ross then says, quote, There's no doubt, folks, it seems that Dan Severn and Shamrock are on a collision course. Once again, the WWF is teasing a Shamrock versus Severn match, and once again I get a bit saddened because I'm 99% sure that it never happens. Shamrock then kicks over the stairs at ringside, followed by grabbing a steel chair and smacking the stairs with them. It certainly won't accomplish anything, but it does make him look like a scary motherfucker, so at least he has that going for him. We then go to a pre-taped segment where Bart Gunn, whose on-screen graphic labels him as Lefty, gets to hang out with yet another star of Pacific Blue, Shanna Mokler. It's pretty terrible, so take a listen. Now, on my show, Pacific Blue, we get really physical. But last Monday on Raw as well, you got extremely physical with Dr. Death. Rick Mark throws a hard left when it lands right on the side of your head or on your ear. A mark can scramble your brain with that left hand. There's no doubt about it. Well, you know anything can happen in the WWF. In the Brawl for Raw, you know, I got all the respect in the world for Dr. Death. But we just went toe-to-toe, and at the end, I caught him with a good left hook. Oh, big foul! Oh, 
think you could show me some of your moves? Why, sure. Ooh. Pacific Blue, coming up next. If I didn't know any better, I would assume that the USA Network really wants people to watch Pacific Blue. But uh, but don't do that. It's it's pretty terrible. Although I will encourage you to Google the phrase Triple H Pacific Blue because you'll get to see an amazing scene he filmed for the show. One of the female cops tells a bad guy, we've got you now, but Triple H then shows up and says, guess again, blondie. And what does he do from there? He fucking suplexes her. Suplex to the female bike cop onto the concrete. Consummate professional. Not to mention the fact that he's wearing his DX shirt the entire time. Go watch it as soon as this podcast is over. It's amazing. But anyway, now it's time for our main event, a tag team match to determine who will become the number one contenders for Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker's WWF tag team titles, Kane and Mankind versus Nation of Domination co-leaders The Rock and Owen Hart. A rare heel versus heel matchup. I must admit, I did pop quite a bit when The Rock and Mankind were in the ring together because, spoiler alert, these two are going to have some absolutely classic moments with each other a few months down the road. Definitely stay tuned for that. The match was alright, but in what has become a common theme lately, the ending was pretty weak. Both teams started brawling on the outside, and the referee began to count. Owen managed to sneak back into the ring just before the referee got to 10, so your winners and the new number one contenders for the WWF Tag Team titles are The Rock and Owen Hart. We then cut backstage where Michael Cole was standing by with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Cole asked Austin about the fact that he shared a beer with The Undertaker last week, but then Kane jumped Stone Cold from behind. In fact, I'll just play it for you right here. So Stone Cold, now we know your opponents for tomorrow night, but first I'd like to take you back to last Monday night. You tossed The Undertaker a beer in the ring, and he drank it. Is this a show of solidarity, a show of teamwork? Well, it showed us up this Thursday. Look, Thursday, so I tossed him a beer. Don't mean nothing other than that to me. I threw him a damn beer, and he drank it. That's all it was. And that leads me to my next question, which is he drank the beer, and then he may have seemed to conveniently turn his back you were attacked by Kane. Well, it was stupid of me to drop my guard, and Kane shanghaied me from behind. But then again, by the same token, Undertaker didn't lift a damn finger to help me out none. Not that I needed his help, but you damn right. No, he didn't help me, so maybe there's something going on there. Are you saying that you and The Undertaker aren't any closer than you were three weeks ago as you go into your tag team title match tomorrow night against The Rock and Owen? You're a lot smarter than I thought you were, Jack. As Undertaker and me are just a team, but not, nothing further than that. As far as going against The Rock and Owen Hart, I get all the respect in the world for those guys as a tag team, but you can rest assured, when the bell rings, someone's going to get their ass beat. And whether it's The Rocky and Owen Hart or it's The Undertaker, it really doesn't make a damn to me. We're still going to be the tag team champions, whether I like it or not, when the match is over. And that's all I got to say to you, because you're starting to me off. And with that, we go off the air. A solid beginning to Sunday Night Heat, but also a lot of setup for tomorrow night's episode of Raw as well, which was probably to be expected. So did the fans tune in to watch? Actually, yes they did, to the tune of a 3.7 rating, which is about a point lower than Raw, but it certainly had to be higher than anything else the USA Network would have aired in that spot on a Sunday night instead, and yes, I'm including Pacific Blue. Overall, a good start for Sunday Night Heat, but let's just say that I wouldn't get too accustomed to the thought of seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin popping up on the show. And on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. 
or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will leave you now with a clip from, what else? Pacific Blue. This particular one is from the episode where China guest starred as a prisoner and one of the bike cops attempted to get her to confess to a crime. Enjoy that, and I will catch you next time. Remember me? Gee, I'm not sure. I should get a little closer so I can get a better look. Before you try your thigh master routine again, I thought you'd be interested in knowing that your partners were just arrested while pulling off a jewel heist without you. Look, I'm supposed to know what you're talking about. Matter of fact, not only did they try and cut you out of the operation, but they fingered you in several other robberies in exchange for reduced sentences. Don't listen to him, girlfriend. He is bluffing. Tell me what I want to know, Tanya. Or you spend a whole lot longer behind bars than you ever imagined. Full of it. You know that's not true. They would have marched them right through here. This pig is a liar.